Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome to Eric Toolport, the podcast where we talk about theology from a reformed perspective and genuinely nerdy things where there's no content that you won't love. I'm Luke Denner. And I'm Mark Fromey. And I almost said I'm Mark Fromey, so that would have been weird. But today, <laughs> nice. today we're going to be talking a little bit about, um, well, actually a lot about books and talking about like our favorite nonfiction, our favorite fictional books, and found out pretty quickly that we really can't limit that down too far and so there's gonna be quite a few books mentioned today we're also going to talk about some of your guys's interactions on the facebook page and all all that good stuff today and so with that said mark how's your week been going it's been good you know part of me wishes you would be mark from me because i feel like i'd enjoy conversations with myself more than i enjoy conversations with and you, you call me the narcissist well you know <laughs> I sometimes, sometimes you're just too much to handle I'm always too much to handle. I'm too hot to handle. I don't know about that, but no, my week's been good, man. It's uh, it's been busy. Uh, it's been awesome watching uh, the response to what we we started here uh, in the first week alone. We've only gotten like three death threats so far. I know, right? No, that didn't actually happen. Uh, no, that but, didn't. That didn't. We've only gotten good responses, and we thank you guys for that. Like, we yeah. really appreciate that. That's super encouraging for us. Yeah, your guys' responses has been off. Awesome. The the interaction on the Facebook page has been really really great. Uh, Ed Stetzer following yeah. us on Twitter is definitely a highlight. Yeah, is Ed Stetzer he, is he still us following us? Yeah, he's still following us. Jared Wilson followed us for like an hour. Yeah, it was like a couple hours, and I was super excited, and then all of a sudden he was gone. That's okay. Uh, he probably listened and realized it wasn't worth following. <laughs> yeah. The the other thing that was interesting, like, so Ed Stetzer follows us, but if you go to Ed Stetzer's Twitter page, he follows like. 200,000 other accounts, right? So it's not like... It's not like we're that special. We're in an exclusive club. But Jared Wilson only follows, like, I think, like, 1,100 accounts. And so that was a lot more... Um, Exciting. Flattering. Even if it was only for an hour, we're going to hold on to it. Oh, yeah. I don't even know where it came from, because we hadn't, like, shouted out to him or anything like that. Uh, and I didn't start following him, I don't think, until after he followed us. Like I, it, I got the notification that Jared Wilson was following us, and then I followed him. And then that was all, his all ploy. It was gone. Yeah, he just wanted us to follow him. He just wanted us to follow him. We probably would have anyway, honestly. Oh yeah, so. definitely. But, but yeah, I'm glad you had a good week. Uh, mine's been mine's been good too. It was, yeah, it was a, a pretty, just typical week, you know, work and in church and stuff. And so it's it's been good. Um, had a nice relaxing night last night after we got home and, and a fun time before that we hung out with with my wife's in-laws and her grandparents and so that was that was fun good time spent with family just nice. hanging out and talking so yeah that's yeah, always we, good yeah we had a blast had some good food her mom is an amazing cook which thankfully also passed down to her my wife is an amazing cook nice. which is bad for me because i like food so yeah that usually is problematic but the one the one major thing that happened this week that really just made me sad was finding out that Mark doesn't know the difference between reading and listening. Okay, you know what? And so, we're going to look at this right here. I have Merriam-Webster pulled up, the definition of read. For those of you who don't know, on, on our Facebook page, Mark put up a poll asking if you would rather be, only be able to read for the rest of your life and not be able to watch TV or play games, or if you'd rather watch TV, not play games or read, or games and not watch TV and read. And 
So I put the only down. The correct I would, answer here is read. No, see, I got the correct answer. I put down still watch TV and then listen to audiobooks. Now, Mark tried pulling this crap, saying that that's a form of reading. Here's the definition of read from Merriam-Webster: to receive or take in the sense of letters or symbols by sight or touch. And so, reading by definition is seeing letters or symbols by sight or touch and taking them in. None of which occurs in audiobooks. In audiobooks, you audibly take in somebody else's verbal communication. There are no letters, there are no symbols, there is no sight, there is no touch, therefore it is not reading, and you can still use them. I'm going to go back in and recreate the poll and just put books instead of reading. <laughs> it's the same thing. Audiobooks are books. No, they're not. They're readings of books out loud. They're not books. They're not a physical book. That has letters and symbols contained within. Well, in that case, then you get a uh, Kindle too, because that's that not a is, physical book. It does have letters and symbols contained within, though. Okay. All right. So, so at this rate, not reading means that you can't watch anything that requires subtitles. You can't look at the cover of a movie because that's going to have, you know, there's letters and symbols in most intros to movies too. I know. So I was kind of worried about that, but you said, uh, let me find it really quick here. You said reading books. I'm pretty sure. No, my, no, you just my had reading. post is just reading. Okay, then we just should definitely all change our answer to reading if, if <laughs> that's the case. You can't do anything else without Cause, it. Because <laughs> then we're in trouble. Oh, man. Oh. Why you so, make yeah. everything so technical, I don't know. Because it's fun. Maybe for you, not for anybody else. Yeah, I enjoy it. I am that guy. Like You, you guys have probably seen the meme of the guy, pay me a dollar, I'll argue with you about anything. That's definitely me. So... I mean, do you remember in college, Mark, we used to sit there and I would play devil's advocate just for the fun of arguing with people? That's true. We both did that some, though. Yeah, I just, I enjoy a good a good debate, especially when it's one that's not, like, slandering you and calling you an idiot, um, but when we're both parties can respect each other and talk and, and agree to disagree without making it personal. Yeah, those those are in rare form. Yeah, I think it's an art that's been lost. I mean, you look you look back several years and you saw people willing to do that, but... And now everybody just takes everything so personally. And I mean, that's happened all throughout history, but I feel like there used to be less of it than there is now. Yeah. But maybe, maybe that's just, that could just be me too. So, so, books. Um, man, when you were, initially we were talking about like picking our two favorite, like our favorite nonfiction, or our favorite fictional book. And there's just so many good books out there that I just... I, I couldn't narrow it down that much, and so I don't know about you, but I can't give you a definitive. This do you want, is, this do you want to do this favorite. first, or do you want to do our uh, giveaway? Oh yeah, we should mention that. We should mention that we are going to be doing a book giveaway since this podcast is about books. So we're going to be giving away um, the Explicit Gospel by Matt Chandler, and then the Imperfect Disciple. And who's that by Mark? The Imperfect Disciple, which is by Jared Wilson, and actually, Explicit Gospel is Matt Chandler with Jared Wilson. He co-wrote oh, I didn't it know with Wilson him. co-wrote that with him. Yeah, if if you have not read anything from Jared Wilson, you're doing it wrong. Um, he's he's fantastic. the The first book I was introduced to by Jared Wilson was um, The Pastor's Justification, which was a phenomenal book. My friend Nick recommended it to me. We actually went through it together, reading it uh, like a chapter a week. Um, but no, it's, it's a phenomenal book. Jared Wilson is, is very good. I have for both of those books, the imperfect disciple and explicit gospel, 
I have uh, the like basically the back page pulled up. So I'm going to read through those just to give you guys an idea of what these books are. So the explicit gospel first um, is even if you go to church, it doesn't mean that you are being exposed to the gospel explicitly. Sure, most people talk about Jesus and about being good and avoiding bad, but the gospel message simply isn't there, at least not in its specificity and its fullness. Inspired by the needs of both the overchurched and the unchurched, and bolstered by the common neglect of the explicit gospel within Christianity, popular pastor Matt Chandler writes to remind us of what is, what is of first and utmost importance, the gospel. And so we're, we're giving away that book. And we're going to be and that giving, was the explicit gospel, correct? Yeah, that was explicit gospel. And then there's um, the the imperfect disciple, where the back, the back cover is too many discipleship books are written for perfect people who know who know all the right Sunday school answers. This book is for the rest of us, people who screw up, people who are weary, people who are wondering if it's safe to say what they're really thinking. With incisive wit, warm humor, and moving stories, Jared Wilson shows us how the gospel actually works through us and in us, even when we can't get our act together. The result is a faith that weathers storms, lifts burdens, and deepens our friendship with God. Gotcha. Yeah, and I, I have not personally read The Imperfect Disciple, but I have read The Explicit Gospel and actually just finished taking our youth through that on Sundays. And it is it is a fantastic, fantastic book. And just making that and making the gospel relevant for believers as well as lost because i think a lot of times we tend to think oh the gospel is needed for salvation in the justification sense kind of going back to what we talked about in the very first podcast and we forget salvation includes sanctification and this this goes into the gospel is just as necessary for the everyday life of the believer and how it impacts us which i think we all kind of know but this book really drives that home and i really appreciate that about it yeah it's it's definitely a good reminder to have um, yeah. Do you want to give a little bit about the Imperfect Disciple, really quick? Well, so I actually haven't read the Imperfect Disciple either. It's actually a pretty, <gasps> it's a pretty new book. Um, so if it has heresy, we don't know about it. It's <laughs> there's that. Uh, no, I, I have no doubt that it's. Man, we good. can't be giving away a book we haven't read. No, we're giving away a book we haven't read. Should Jared Wait, can Wilson's I enter? Super... Can I enter in no, the you, giveaway? You cannot enter in the giveaway. I'm not I don't giving... want to win the book. I haven't I'm, read it yet. I'm not giving you Imperfect Disciple. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to do do those two books. Imperfect Disciple, I mean, like I said, Jared Wilson is just a f- phenomenal author. Uh, he's easy to read. He's very engaging. And I've heard nothing but good things about Imperfect Disciple. And because I've read other stuff by Jared Wilson and know a bit about him, I, I don't have any problem recommending this book. Uh, with that, though, just like anything, no matter what you're reading, read it with discernment. Like Definitely. We, I can't cannot stress that enough um, for us as believers that regardless of who we're reading, um, whether you're reading John Calvin or C.S. Lewis or John Piper or J.I. Packer, I mean, any author, read them with discernment because every one of them is still a sinner. Every one of them is going to make mistakes. And so it doesn't matter uh, what book you're reading or who wrote it, but test everything against the scriptures. And so uh, that goes for explicit gospel as well as the imperfect disciple. If you are the winner of these books, and if you aren't, they're not expensive books. Go pick them up because they'll be beneficial. I'm sure. Yeah, uh, definitely. So ways definitely. to to enter the the giveaway that we're gonna do. You want you want to give those, Luke? Sure, I'll give those. So we have we can earn up to three entries. 
And so the first way is by sharing our Facebook page, and then we will make a post in there. And if you comment on that post, letting us know what your favorite part of the podcast has been so far, that's going to get you one entry for sharing and commenting. You can get another entry for sharing us on Twitter and then tweeting at us your favorite part of the podcast. And then finally, you can get another entry for leaving a review for us on iTunes. And good review or bad review, we'll still we'll still let it count as an entry. But if it's a bad review, we, we may pref- accidentally we would lose your entries. We would prefer good reviews. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, just review how you think. So if we're doing bad, give give us the feedback, and we'll we'll try and make it better. Yeah. But so those are three ways to win: Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes. And we will give that those details again on Facebook too for everyone in that group. And if you're not on Facebook, just back up a couple seconds, and you can hear them all again. We're not so. going to put them in Facebook because then people don't have to actually listen to our podcast in order to get it. No, we we can. We still only want Facebook our listeners. We only want our listeners. I mean, they have to tell us the favorite part of the podcast, so <laughs> they have to have listened to something That's in order fair. to That's to get the, the entries. Um. So. And if you all lie, that's that's between you and Jesus, but that's not good. Yeah, that's bad. Very bad. <laughs> so, um, yeah. We don't so have a deadline that. on this yet either. It'll pro- we'll probably let it go for a couple weeks to let people get entered and uh, things like that. So Putting a deadline on it now, two weeks. So you've got one more podcast, and then the one after that will be the deadline. So two weeks from today, which is the 5th? 4th, November 4th. Sure. That's our deadline. There you go. Done. Done. So, so that's that's that. Um, yeah. Entered with some great books. Speaking of great books, let's talk about the ones that we like. The so ones that we like. We'll start with let's start with the non-fictional ones because for you and I, that's kind of going to mean the theological ones and the format of our podcast so far has been talking about that first, and I think we should stick with that for the sake of our listeners. So. What I'll let you go first, though, Mark. What is what are some of your? Give me two. Give me two top influential books. Two top influential books. Well, uh, one one that I have to go with pretty much out of necessity. Um, the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer is is one mm-hmm. of the most influential books on my theology, um, on who I am as a believer. It's just a very um, strong overview of, of different doctrines and, and really a good intro, I, th- I think, into um, some of the basic practices of especially Reformed theology. Uh, Packer hits on a lot of good stuff in that book, and it, it, it drastically, I've read it three times, I think, and it, it, it drastically has changed um, the way that I look at my faith and the way that I look at my walk with God. And, uh, made, made me think a lot as I read it, and, and still makes me think whenever I go back and read it again. So I, I highly recommend um, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. I know, I know you've read that one as well. Yeah, it's, it is a fantastic book, guys. It, it'll it blow your mind if these are concepts that you haven't thought of before. Yeah. And Packer's also very... He's easy, really he's good at explaining. Yeah, uh, Pretty easy, yeah. He's not the easiest read in the world, but he's pretty easy. He's definitely a, a tear up from... Um, Chandler and, and Wilson as far as reading yeah. goes. But just the the way he explains things, he explains them very well. And he's he's very conscious of of saying things in a way that are going to make sense to the listeners, or not, I guess the readers. And so he, he's, he's a very good one to read. Like yeah. he's something we'll get into in some podcasts down the way. 
Um, he wrote the foreword for a book I've been reading through called From Heaven. He came and sought her. And in that, he was just talking about how people cling to using older language or using new things because they've done them traditionally and was going through how he thinks that the L and tulip shouldn't be used anymore because limited atonement puts the wrong idea in the minds of readers. And so he's just very intentional about that. What are my readers going to be thinking upon initially reading this before I even get the chance to explain it? Yeah. He's very practical also. The, the way that he writes um, translates well and easily to, to how you actually live your life as a believer. Yeah, so that's one. What's what's two? Number that's two. One. Number two, the, the other book that's been... And this is a book that's been influential on me recently. Um, but it's the book Masculine Mandate by Richard Phillips. And I read... I, I read Masculine Mandate... Uh, about a year ago, little, little earlier, I think I picked it up in August of 2016, was the and first le- time I read it. Legit, when Mark first read this book, like I thought he was going to hold like a conference and pull an Oprah just so he could put this book under everybody's seats. I there, this is a book for me that like I haven't been able to do this yet. Now that I'm, I, I've changed jobs, I'm making a little bit more money. My intention is to basically always have a couple copies of this book in my own possession that I can give to guys whenever I'm um, given the opportunity. It, it is a book I feel very strongly about that as, as a Christian man, and, and specifically as a man, but, but women could read this book too and, and have a better understanding of man's role um, in, in the house, at, in the workplace, in the church. Um, I think that this book should essentially be required reading for, for any Christian man. It's it's just a phenomenal explanation, um, and and he really dives into what we're called to do and what we what we were created for as men. Uh, he talks about essentially what it all comes down to is is we're called to work and to keep. We're called to cultivate and and put our efforts into growing what God's given us, and we're called to protect those things and sustain those things as well. And so he looks at that's that's a command given to Adam in Genesis. Uh, in Genesis 2, that's that's the command God gives to Adam. And so how does that translate in our lives? And, and Phillips breaks down what does that look like as a husband? What does that look like as a father? What does that look like as an employee or an employer? What does it look like as um, someone that is a part of the church? And he gets very, very practical in what he has to say. And, and it's easy to read. It's um, It's not super long. It's not short either. But I was able to read, I powered through it and read the whole book in about a week, week and a half, and then actually went through and did a study over that, through that book um, at the church I was attending at the time with, with a group of guys. And so um, I, I can't recommend this book enough. It, it has been extremely influential on um, how I view manliness, how I view masculinity, and uh, what I believe man is called to do as, as believers. How are we supposed to live? Um, it makes a big difference. Have you have you read Masculine Mandate, Luke? I have, and yeah, I was gonna I was gonna agree. It is it's good and it's very timely. It's it's a book that's really needed in the in the church right now and it's very applicable. I mean you see you see people getting upset with women being placed in roles of leadership within the church. And and rightly so if they're being placed in, in elder or pastoral roles that scripture explicitly commands against. But I think part of why that's happening falls back on us men because you look within in the home in the church and I'm mean, not the church, the home in America. And you see the same thing happening within the church in America of the men just aren't stepping up and leading. 
and so women are stepping up to fill that role and it, it's not right but I think it's to fill a hole that we've left at, at least in part not not entirely but at least in part and so getting this book that goes back to what is biblical masculinity and and kind of disassociating it with that American view of masculinity being oh I'm I'm tough I'm strong um, I can play the sports well or whatever it may be and none of those things are bad and those are all definitely can be more masculine things but that's not where our masculinity is defined and so this book getting back to finding the definition of masculinity biblically finding the definition of masculinity in christ and seeing how he stepped up and lead and he did all of these things perfectly that the book goes through and talks about with yeah obviously exceptions on as far as like the husband wife relationship in the physical sense but with his church we see it yeah and so I i think this is a very it's a very relevant book to our culture today where men don't know how to be men. And, and I think we, again, we tend to diagnose the wrong problems though. So you see all of these pastors and all these theologians coming out and they, they complain about guys playing video games or they complain about guys playing, um, or I don't know, video games is the main one that I've seen. Yeah. Video games get ragged on pretty hardcore. They do, but a lot of those same guys don't come out and complain about guys playing basketball five nights a week or playing these things that are more culturally considered masculine whereas video games are more considered or just watching them not even playing them right and those are those are typically considered more masculine acts whereas video games are typically more associated with adolescence and so yeah they they take the culture's definitions and go with it and call it okay this is how we're setting it up instead of saying man this guy can play video games but he does it limited and he spends time leading his family and discipling his family and and serving his church and serving the local body whereas the guy who is missing Sundays to go play sports or missing Wednesday nights to go watch a game they don't talk about because it's more culturally acceptable and so seeing seeing that that just kind of shattered in the image of biblical masculinity of no biblical masculinity is defined in how I'm walking with Christ not in what activities I'm partaking in. Now, albeit the activities I'm partaking in are going to be reflective of my walk with Christ, so there is definitely something to be seen there. Sure. But, yeah, I think it's definitely a very a very good book, and it's something I'd been wanting to find for a while, so I was super excited when you found it, because I was, I'd seen the need for that. I have a good friend at, at my church who's seen the need for that for a long time within the church, and has talked about that, and how men fail to be men. Yeah. And not, not a casting stones are pointing my finger i've i failed i fail with this still yeah with my wife and so it's it's a good reminder and a good push back to where are you defining your masculinity and are you actually living as the man that god has called you to be yeah definitely i mean and and for me uh and you know me well but i saw it one i mean it is highly convicting as a book to to truly step up and lead um without a doubt that is it it doesn't brush over that and it doesn't take that lightly uh phillips makes it very clear that the reason he wrote this book is become because men are failing to do this uh and they need to step up but for me like we talked about the difference between cultural masculinity and biblical masculinity and um you know me well and know that by most standards i am not culturally masculine at all um I don't yeah, neither play, of us would. Yeah, would really I don't play be. a bunch of sport. Like, there's. there's I'm just all more those... violent than you. <laughs> That's fair, uh, but we we aren't really um, 
man's the man's man in the sense of uh, the way culture defines it at all. And so there's there's been times in my life where I've been intimidated by that, and it's it's bothered me. I'm like, well, you know, am I going to be able to protect my family? Am I going to be able to be the the husband or the father that I'm supposed to be uh, when I'm not what the culture describes as a man? And so having a book like this, this is you don't have to be these things as long as you are doing what Scripture commands of you and you're doing these things, which, again, is not at all easy, but it's something that, that gave me encouragement and that I don't have to meet the stereotype of, of the world in order to be accomplishing what God's called me to do as a father and as a husband and as a leader in the church and as a, a person in the workplace. Like, There's a lot more important things to what God's called us to do and, and it doesn't have to be what the culture calls us to do at all. Uh, yeah. Most of the time, it's not the same thing. And so that's there's encouragement in that for me. And so some of you guys, if you have ever felt that way, I highly recommend this book. And then on the flip side, if you are the man's man, read this book because it's going to call you to correction from that as well. Um, uh, correction in a sense. There's there's nothing wrong with the And there's nothing wrong with it. You're right. There's, I'm, I, maybe that was a bad choice of words. Um, if if you're only meeting the standards of what culture is called manly, yeah, then and you're an not issue. and you're failing biblically, then it's it's going to uh, rock your world as well. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with being um, like the the man's man that, that culture defines. Um, I Definitely. know I know a lot of very, lot godly, of very godly men, men who are. Men. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not one of them. So, <laughs> right, you're a godly man, just not one of the men's men. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not one of the the man's man type people. So, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I do want to make that clear, guys. That we're not. Please don't hear us ragging on. No, not um, at all. Not guys at all. who like sports and hunting and stuff like that. Um, we're not. We we have different tastes and activities. But just like we can't, we can't be casting stones at guys who play video games as long as they're doing it well and not making it an idol or an addiction. We can't be casting stones at guys who are the man's man as long as they're doing it well and not making it their identity or an addiction. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the same, it's the same either way, I guess. Yeah. So I don't want to I don't want us to come across as demonizing that at all. No, not at all. So, so yeah, yeah. And the, and the the book doesn't demonize that either. I mean, the book no, really is ignore cultural standards one way or the other and and be a biblical man. I mean, that's what yeah, it really is calling to. Yeah, I I can't remember anywhere in the book where he even really addresses or attacks he that. He doesn't at talk all. about it very much at all. So he mainly just talks about what's it look like to be a biblical man. Which is is cool, yeah. So, so yeah. All right, my two. That's what I'm. I'm trying to decide which one I want to go with first. <laughs> I think I'll go with. I think I'll go with uh, Lloyd Jones, Martin Lloyd Jones, preaching and preachers. It was one of the most influential books on my ministry. Good book. It is. It is fantastic. Actually, it wasn't even a book at first. It was a series of lectures that he delivered. They were then put into a book format. The transcripts were taken down and put into a book. But holy cow, just the things I got out of that book, I, I can't even I can't even list all of them or we didn't have the podcast going on forever. But I read it like over the series of a summer and just sitting on my front porch and, and reading this book. And just the, the practical application he has, especially for guys who are going to be in pastoral ministry, like he even gives scheduling advice and stuff like that. And, and it's huge. But I think the two, the two biggest takeaways... I got from it. One was when he was talking about how um, he sets time aside in the morning 
as a pastor. And so from like, I think it was like eight to noon, he has time set aside where he's not to be disturbed unless it's an emergency. And he just sits and he reads and he reads scripture. He reads commentaries. He read, well, read, read books. And he would read like the latest scientific articles put out. He would read some from a non-Christian book just to get a bit of the world's view on things at the time so he could stay relevant with that. And he did it in a really cool way because Martin, Martin Lloyd-Jones was not a guy who was concerned about seekers. He was, he was not concerned about watering the gospel down to reach the culture, but was still very intentional about know what's going on with the people in your church and the people in your community so that way you can best communicate with them. And so seeing that was, was really cool and just seeing how dedicated he was to having that time spent alone to prepare sermons and to spend time in the Word and to spend time preparing to feed his flock was was cool. And he had time set aside throughout the day, too, that I think well, this is this is the tendency of the pastors who spend a lot of time in the Word is to not spend time in their flock. And he had other time set aside to be visiting people, to do house calls, to do hospital visits and stuff like that. And so... It was, it's just cool seeing the structure he had set up for that. That was really encouraging and actually helpful for me as someone who's not very structured in my life. Um, so that was that was the first thing. The second really big, big takeaway for me was probably not even something he really was driving home as a main point of that lecture, but something that really just stuck with me. He was talking about why he doesn't do an altar call. And so, I mean, you know, we both come from good Baptist churches where altar calls are just part and parcel with it. And, Come on down. Yeah, and we're very used to that. And he was going through, and he he shared this story of how one time he he was delivering a Sunday evening sermon, and it was it was very evangelical in nature, very much a here's the gospel, receive it and believe it, um, biblically. But when we came to the end, there was a man in their town who was known. It's the town drunk, basically, and he was in the back. And Lloyd-Jones said he, he sat there and he thought, because he saw this man was moved, he saw him crying, and he thought about breaking his rule there and doing an altar call, and the spirit convicted him not to. And so he didn't. And the next day he runs into that guy on the street, and the guy told him, oh, pastor, you know, if, if you'd uh, done an altar call last night, I would have come down. I would have come down the aisle and accepted Jesus right there. And so Lloyd-Jones was like, well, that's fantastic. Let's talk about what that means right now. And the man said, oh, no, I don't want to today, but I would have last night. And so Lloyd-Jones was going about how that solidified in his mind why he wouldn't do that, because he didn't want emotions to be driving people to a false sense of repentance. And and he, he was good to say that, you know, if you do an altar call or if you don't do an altar call, at the end of the day, we have to trust God is sovereign. And so is he sovereignly going to be saving people as they walk away without an altar call? Yes. And is he going to sovereignly be saving people if they come forward to an altar call? Yes, and so we have to trust. We have to trust in him to be doing the saving, but just that practicality of not wanting to toy with the emotions of people to make them respond to something, because all you're doing at that point is essentially throwing the seed into the shallow soil, so something springs up quickly and then withers. Yeah, and and so that was that was very influential on on my ministry and just kind of how how I started seeing God's role in salvation too because that was when I was getting newer newer to Reformed theology still and kind of getting used to the ideas and so seeing God's sovereignty and being like oh I don't have to be the one to pull this person aside and pray through a prayer with them in order for them to be saved 
I get to preach the gospel and they get to respond and I get to trust God to be the one who's doing the saving. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's not that good. sitting down with someone and talking is bad, but no, but yeah, definitely. He's he's good. I not not even totally related to that book, which I've read that book too, and it is phenomenal. I totally agree with you. Uh, but reading, I read an article a while ago. I don't remember where where it was, so I'm not gonna um, try to give a reference to it. It might have been Gospel Coalition, but I don't know. That was about Martin Lloyd Jones, and and he really changed. The, the way that it talked about him and, and his his life practices really changed the way I approached some things. And I think that this could be beneficial to all believers is why I bring it up. Um, but it talked the article talked about how as a pastor, obviously Lloyd-Jones was busy. He pastored a very large church. He was successful. Um, and so his time was very um, occupied pretty much always. Like Luke said, he had a very strict schedule to, to make sure that he got everything done he needed to in, in an appropriate way. Um, but one thing that he always did was he was very intentional about the way that he interacted with his family. Mm, yeah. And, and he, he was intentional to take interest in things that his family took interest in. Um, there's stories of he, he rode the train into the church or to the church from, from his house and it was apparently a pretty long train ride with a couple other stops. And it's I remember reading that every Sunday morning when he was going to church, obviously he would go very early. And he took his, um, his daughter with him, who was very young at the time. And so what, what Lloyd-Jones would do is they would get onto the train, and his daughter knew that she had to sit quietly for the first two stops. And he spent that time going over a sermon, making edits, all of those kinds of things, just doing preparation for the morning. But after those first two stops, for the rest of the train ride, he would just play with her on the train, whether that was playing with dolls, talking to her, whatever it was. He was very intentional to this was his time with his daughter, that he was going to do something with her and let her have fun and, and bond with her in that way. And so he was very intentional in that. And then there was another story about, I can't remember if it was a son or a nephew, it might have been a nephew or a grandson, where uh, the man was not a believer and he was an adolescent or something and was reading some fantasy book series that he, he brought up often whenever there was family gatherings and things. And so Lloyd-Jones really had no interest in what the book series was or anything like that, but he went and read the entire series so that he could talk to him about it and so that he could connect with him in that and talk with him and uh, bond with him and have opportunities to share the gospel with him through those conversations um, that's something that wasn't necessary, but, but Lloyd-Jones was intentional about it because he was going to have that bond with his family. He was going to put the effort into expressing interest in the things that they're interested in. And that was something that really changed the way I looked at some different things. And I, I was given uh, a book by a family member shortly after that that I really was not interested in um, at all. But it was, a, it was a close family member, thought it was something I would like, gave it to me. And I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to read it because they gave it to him. So I, I read the book and I talked with them about it. And um, there was some good stuff in there overall. It was just kind of not a great book in my opinion. Um, but it was something that they were they were interested in and, and that they wanted to Who gave to it to you? What was the name of the book? Yeah, not happening. I'm uh, kidding. <laughs> but it was uh, just the way that he approached that and, and the way he approached um, 
taking interest in his family was something that really hit home with me and was something that I want to be very intentional about as I get older and, and I have yeah. kids or, or nieces and nephews and things like that. I want to um, be able to, to express interest in the things that they express interest in and be able to bond with them in that way. So, and I, th- I think and as I- believers, we all can, can take uh, notes from that and, and do the same thing. Yeah. And I'll add here guys, even if you're, not in ministry, which I realize probably the majority of our listeners aren't. The book has still got great practical advice just for daily life of believers. And so it, there may be parts of it that aren't relevant, but a lot of it will still be relevant and worth worth reading. And yeah, you, there is. There's just a huge amount of respect I hold for Lloyd-Jones for that and for what you were talking about there, Mark, because you have guys like Spurgeon who are phenomenal preachers, but one of the greatest accusations levied against him is his neglection of his family. And so a lot of times those two things don't go hand in hand. So it's really cool seeing that in Lloyd-Jones and seeing him doing that. Another guy I think of without is Piper. Piper, who's fantastic at preaching, but is so intentional about spending time with his wife. And you just hear him talking about just loving his time with Noel. And it's really cool to see that in guys. and really encouraging to see that and to know that it can be done well. We just have to work for it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, that's my first book, Preaching and Preachers by Lloyd-Jones. And then the second one, which has just been really influential on my theology as a whole and just my life as a whole is the Calvin's of Christ. Institutes. Oh. <laughs> no, Calvin's Institutes is good, but yeah, I'm definitely not going to tell anyone to sit down and read that in one sitting. Nope. But <laughs> The Lordship of Christ by, by Terry Crisp. Confessing I, I Jesus as Lord. That's it, Confessing Jesus as Lord. Thank you don't even you. know the name of it. I do know the name of it. I just blanked here. I don't have it in front of me. Confessing Jesus is Lord by Terry Crisp. And I will warn you guys, it's a fantastic book. It was written as his doctoral dissertation, though. And so it's definitely uh, a that was his, his master's was that his master's thesis that he expanded on. Tor- yeah. Toward a sure faith was the doctoral dissertation. Yeah. Okay. So still, it was his master's thesis, which he then expanded on. But it's, it's not a light read by any means. No. But it's a really, really good read. And so that was the book that really introduced me to lordship theology and and just that the the idea that jesus is the rightful lord of all and salvation is not this goes back to this olafide thing again salvation is not just saying oh yeah i believe in you salvation is arranging ourselves under his lordship and like he talks in there about how the fall was a rebellion against his lordship and the gospel was establishing that lordship again in the same relation relational way for his church and so not that his lordship is ever lost he's still lord over all creation but we get to come back into that relational aspect of the lordship through the gospel and and be subjected to him again instead of subjected to sin and so it's just it's a phenomenal book um really goes through like one of my favorite things it goes through and looks at the covenants and seeing how all the covenants were establishing or maybe not establishing but revealing the lordship of of christ throughout scripture and so Fantastic book. I will. <laughs> we should probably give a disclaimer. I may be a bit biased here. Dr. Crisp was a professor of Mark and I's at Missouri Baptist University. And he was one of the most influential guys on my, my theology, on my ministry. Yeah, he, but, was, he was really good. Crazy smart. One of the smartest men I've ever met in my life. Yeah, ridiculously, ridiculously. And he doesn't remember us, so... Yeah, that's okay. Should we tell that story or we just kind of No, we'll let that go. <laughs> but but yeah, he's he's a really nice guy and and 
it's cool because this book is, is very much a theological book, but all of the application that comes out of it of, wow, if, if Christ is actually my Lord, that means that necessitates me living my life differently. And so how am I going to be living every day? And this goes to the glory alone. How am I going to be living every day? Yeah. Reflective of who my master is now. Yeah, and, and so, and, and, and Dr. Chrisop would hit hard on in that book and just as in lectures and, and in talking with him, like you can, you can have a, you know, a, or there, there, Sorry, you're going to need to cut all this out. Um, he, he talks about the importance of recognizing that you can't have Jesus as your Savior and not also as your Lord is really what it comes down to and that Lordship theology really is calling to, to believers or, or pointing out the fact that for God, for Jesus to be your Savior, he also has to be your Lord. It can't be one without the other. And it, the, I've heard people multiple times talk about, you know, well, Jesus was my savior, but it wasn't until a few years later that I actually made him the Lord of my life. And it's like, no, that's that's not how it works. Um, you, you can't have one without the other. And and so um, he, he hits on the necessity of that. And I even remember that was a big deal for Dr. Chrisop. He talked about it often. And I remember we were reading another book that, again, I would recommend it. It's called A Short Life of Christ. And I remember reading that in one of his classes and it being a very good book, but Dr. Chris brought up in a lecture or talking about at one point that that author in particular does not support lordship theology and he believes that Jesus can be your savior without being your lord and and Chris was very um, vehemently or at least as vehemently as Dr. Chris would get uh, was against that whole concept or idea that you can have Jesus as your savior and not also as your lord. And this book does a good job of explaining why that's the case and why it's important to recognize his lordship. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. He was he was so big on that, and it was really cool to see that too. Because I think a lot of times we divorce those in the church. Yeah. And I remember the first time I heard that, I honestly like was kind of taken aback by it. I was working out at a day camp, um, and this was definitely before I was reformed by any means. And the camp director was stressing to me when you present the gospel to the kids. And you, because we would go through the, the colors, and she was like, "When you, when you do that, there's no one, there's not one in there that stresses that Jesus is going to become my master." And she's like, "You need to stress that." And I was like, "Why would we need to stress that? We just need these kids to pray a prayer and then they're saved." Because I didn't understand how much those went hand in hand. And so I'm, I'm really grateful looking back on the fact that she was intentional about that. Because I would have just been concerned about getting the kids to raise their hands and pray a prayer, and and had no clue yeah. that the lordship was that that fundamental in it. So, so yeah, great, two great books. Those ones are a little headier. A uh, couple. Let's throw out a couple honorable mentions here, because yeah. there are just so many. Family so Driven Faith by Vodi Bauckham is a phenomenal book. Oh as well. man, just anything you can get your hands on by Bauckham is pretty good. Yeah, he he gets. There's some stuff later in the book that he gets kind of extreme. I. I know some people who disagree with him, um, especially when he gets to talking about homeschooling and things like that. I I personally think I probably fall more in line with him than some others would, but um, it is overall a phenomenal book, really changes the way, talks about fathers being leaders of their homes and parents being responsible for their children is really what he hits on hard. It's It, it changed the way that I approached um, ministering to students and families. Um, which is when I, I read the book for a, a ministry class, specifically youth ministry, on 
how, how to communicate with parents and how to make sure that they understand that the discipleship of their children is their responsibility. And that's what Vody Balkan hits on hardcore. And so yeah. um, it changed, it changed the way I looked at ministry, but it changed the way that I looked at my future family as well. And so um, highly recommend that book. Yeah. Um, I'll throw out praying scripture by, Oh, what's his name? What's the guy who does the Don Whitney? Yeah. Don Whitney. Thank you. Praying scripture by Don Whitney is fantastic. It's Don Whitney's an interesting one to read. I would much rather listen to him speak. He's much more engaging than his books, but that book just has so much good stuff in it. It's worth kind of chewing through and, yeah. and getting yeah. the meat out of it. Um, that one is, is, is fantastic. Desiring God by Piper. Yeah. If you read that, you've read basically every Piper book. That yeah. one's really good. Two I'll throw out here really quick if you are in ministry, and especially if you're going to be in a preaching or teaching capacity. Two that I think should be must-reads are... Is it the glory of God in preaching? Is that the one by Piper? Or the supremacy? The, the, the supremacy, supremacy of God in teach and preaching. Yeah. Of God in preaching by Piper. And simplicity and in preaching by J.C. Ryle. Simplicity. Yep. Simplicity in preaching by J.C. Ryle. Which that one is just a little treatise. That's like takes you twenty minutes to read, probably. Yeah, it's real short, but it's it's good stuff. I I read it. I actually read that one on like a Saturday after I'd done most of the preparation for a sermon I was preaching that Sunday, and as I finished reading that book, I was like man, I got to go rewrite my sermon. This isn't good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that's kind of what happened to me, too. Thankfully for me, it was on like a Wednesday, so I had a little more time to go back and work through it. But, but yeah, those, and then Dangerous Calling. If you're going to be doing anything in ministry or just the Christian life, Dangerous Calling yeah, is... Yeah, that's Trip. Is, yeah, Paul Trip is really, really good. Can't recommend that one enough. I almost wanted to put that in our book giveaway. I yeah. was afraid it wouldn't be as applicable for as many listeners. The other thing so. I'm going to throw out just as a, in general... Whether you're going into ministry or not, take the time to read the Puritans. Like learn Definitely. to learn to read that older style of writing. Yes, it's more difficult to read. Yes, you're going to go through books slower, but take the time to learn to read them and spend the time to actually read them because there is stuff there that isn't talked about today and is absolutely valuable um, to us as as believers. So, reading through books like. Um, I know. Heaven Taken by Storm. Yeah, Heaven Taken by Storm, um, Bondage of the Will, Mortification of Sin, um, the, de- uh, the Death of Death the and death the Death of, of Christ. Death of Christ. By John I love Owen. that title. Oh, man, it's great. Um, there's, there's so many books by different authors to read that while they're going to be headier and they're going to be harder to get through, they're worth reading. Pilgrim's Progress is another one that comes to mind for me. Um, take the time to read that book. And so... Yeah. Um, and and I'm gonna throw this out there too. Mark and I were talking the other day about how, and actually I was talking with an, another person who listened to the podcast, and realizing we didn't define a couple of terms in the first episode that maybe we should have. And so when you first start reading books like this, like I remember when I first started reading books like this, there's a lot of terminology you don't know. Yeah. There, there's there's just a lot of theological terms that you you know what they mean if someone explains them, but you don't know the term offhand. But as you start reading and start picking them up, it, it does make these books easier to read. So if you can get through one or two, it gets easier past that. Unless you're reading, like, D.A. Carson or something, in which case you're still going to need a dictionary by your side. <laughs> that yeah. guy is that guy's a genius. Yeah, he's heady for sure. But has great things to say. I, I really respect and, and Definitely. like him, too. Definitely. Um, one last one. I'm going to throw one last recommendation, just because it's going to be relevant to, to some future episodes way down the line. 
and that is Apologetics to the Glory of God by John Frame. Gotcha. I, I actually haven't I, read that one. I was not a fan of apologetics throughout college because all I'd been introduced to was evidential apologetics. Frame is a huge student of Cornelius Van Til, who's kind of the father of presuppositional apologetics. And, and not really, but that's just what he's known as. I have Van they Til's were definitely, Christian apologetics sitting right next to me right now, actually. I was going to say, Precept was definitely around before Van Til, but he's the one that kind of brought defined it, it. everyone's... Yeah. yeah. Brought it out and defined it. But Frame is a huge student of his, and apologetics to the glory of God made me realize, okay, apologetics aren't bad. They're actually very, very beneficial for the church. And and I don't want to be saying that evidential is bad either. I just never really cared for it. But I think precept is definitely more biblical method to take. And we're yeah. going to discuss that on a future episode way down the road. Yeah, we're going to talk about it because that's what my seminary class is right now is apologetics. And it's it approaches it from an evidential perspective. And I, I definitely approach it from a presuppositional perspective. And I'm wanting to bang my head against the keyboard right now going through this class already. And so... Um, yeah. I will say this though, if you're if you're out there listening and you are an evidential apologist, like talk to Mark and I. We want to know why you approach it that way. We want to know Yeah, definitely. Um where the benefit is. We don't we don't want to be attacking you or demonizing you. And, and I don't we think that don't there's nothing it. good that can come out of that or anything like that either. But I mean Frank Turk would be a, more of an evidential one. Oh he was and, an evidential apolog- apologist for sure. And I, I appreciate his work. Yeah. So I won't say anything about Ken Ham because I'd have nothing nice to say. We're gonna follow <laughs> Thumper's rule. Sounds but, good. But yeah, so there's a whole slew of books for you guys. Yeah. And we actually have a slew, whole slew of books from you guys, and so we're gonna look at a couple of those really quick. Yeah, I was I was and, shocked by the response we got on this too. I posted um, for. Those, I love how much Lewis came up in this. I know for for those of you that aren't in the Facebook group or that are and just don't look at it, I posted earlier in the week. Um, it was a question for episode four. I said, what is, what is a book or book series that you really love and why, fiction or nonfiction? Um, and, and we got a lot of responses from a lot of people, which was really cool. And so we had um, my wife, Lindsay, brought up the I Am Number Four series, which is fiction. They're, they're interesting books. They're like young adult fiction. and um, I've read most of them. I haven't read all of them. But they're, they're pretty, they're interesting sci-fi kind of books uh, and then she brought up she said counseling one another a theological a theology of an interpersonal discipleship um which is she my, my wife's degree is in biblical counseling and that's what she's working on right now and so that's something that she's feels very passionately about and has a lot of good recommendations in um and i know she i remember when she was reading through that book and was talking to me about it a lot because it really changed the way she looked at biblical counseling and stuff so yeah, yeah, and we got we got quite a few Lewis ones in here. We got the Space Trilogy was mentioned. Uh, Dude, that's it. Magicians. Space Trilogy is so good. We can talk about that when we get into fiction books here in a little bit. Yeah, The Magician's Nephew was mentioned from the Narnia series, which, again, are, are phenomenal books. Yep, Screw Tape um, Letters was brought screw up tape letters. at least once. And here we go. Shameful admission on my part. I've actually, fictionally from Lewis, I've only read The Chronicles of Narnia. I haven't read any of his other fiction books other than, oh, what's the name of that one? It's the one where they go to heaven. Oh, um, Great Divorce? Great Divorce. I've read The Great Divorce. Yeah. That one was interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting book. That kind of showed some of Lewis's more interesting theological ideas. Yeah, Lewis is a guy, just in general, um, he, he's a phenomenal author. He words things in very interesting and creative ways. Um, I, I, I love me some C.S. Lewis. 
C.S. Lewis is not a guy to get your he's not a guy to get your theology from. <laughs> not all your theology. He definitely has some good stuff to say. He does, but but read him um, carefully because because he's got some very um, unorthodox interesting <laughs> views of of, uh, of theology and, and and yeah. So read, yeah, read him with discernment for sure. And please don't become one of those people who just demonizes him because he's got some unorthodox views. Yeah, he no. still had some great contributions and some great things to say. Absolutely. So, like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater there. But, yeah, so we had all that by by Lewis. Uh, uh, Ma- Matthew White Chocolate McDougal. What an interesting <laughs> I, I love the white name. chocolate white in there. White chocolate. Uh, Matthew said the first thing that the comes to mind is the Circle Series from Ted Decker. Um, I... I agree. They're they're very good books. Um, See, I never read the Circle series. I read House, which was Ted Decker and Frank Peretti. Yeah, House was good. And that was that was that's got the best picture of sin, I think. It's in good. the world in a book. It, like it's good. I'm just gonna I'm gonna share it really quick. I know I know we're running a little long here, but I'm gonna share it really quick because I think it's so good. So they have there's a point where the person in the house finds this dish of her favorite treats, and she knows she's not supposed to eat them. But it's her favorite treats, and so she starts eating it. And as she does, it turns into this rotten, maggot-filled dog food in her mouth. And it's just such a good picture of what sin is. It looks so sweet and looks so appealing. And then as soon as you, you bite into it, it just transforms into this nasty, disgusting stuff. Which I mean comes straight out of Proverbs. You know, it looks sweet, but in the end, it's as bitter as wormwood. Yeah. And so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You you already. We talked about space trilogy, which John Parker brought up. Bailey brought up the Screw Tape letters. Hannah brought up Magician's nephew. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot here. I don't think we probably have time to go through. Yeah, I, I will say of... there's. It made me feel good about myself because I've read a lot of these books. There's some that came up that I haven't read. Um, See, there's a decent amount of these I haven't read. I feel like I read a very like niche. Niche. Like, Nietzsche. Is, is that Nietzsche? That's what I'm trying Nitch, to say. Thank Nitch. you. Nietzsche? <laughs> All of Nietzsche's books. Go read them. Oh, boy. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> I read a very, like, interesting selection of books. Yeah. Like, I Fantas- read more obscure Fantastis ones. Fantastis by G- Jeremiah brought that up. I've heard of that book. Or those... I can't... I don't even remember. It's poetry, I think. Kind of. I've never read yeah. it. I, I just have heard of it before. Um, Nate brought up the Dark Tower books, which I'm curious for because they're making movies off of those now, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, that's Stephen King. Um, I have not read Dark. T- I know the the gist of the Dark Tower series, but I've not read them. Uh, he also mentioned Space Trilogy. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot here, guys. Sorry yeah. if we didn't mention you. We're sorry. We really appreciate your feedback. Yeah, so I'm um, trying to at least mention some of the stuff people brought up. Uh, Ian brought up Wheel of Time series, or Caleb brought up. Caleb brought Wheel up Wheel of Time, time and Ian said he finished it. Uh, and Ian yeah. said he's read them. Um, uh, Andrew Douglas brought up Everyone Poops. Just want to make sure everybody poops. knows that. Just want to make sure everybody knows that was brought up. Yeah. And then I think we actually got all of them except for maybe one or two here, so let's go ahead and mention them. Uh, David brought up Maniac McGee by Jerry Spinelli. And then. Spinelli writes some good stuff. We have Sarah Martin, We Are Legion, We Are Bob. I don't even know what that is. I'm not sure. I'm I'm gonna have to check that out because I don't know what that one is either. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to look into that. Uh, so yeah, so there's you guys all brought up some really really good stuff. Some stuff we can 
read ourselves. Lord of the Rings was brought up by Stuart. Obviously, that's a... I mean, it should be brought up. That's, yeah. Yeah. that's fantastic stuff right there. Um, Silmarillion is better. <laughs> well, it, so... Uh, oh, Tim brought up a series of Tim, books. Tim, that, that was it. Yeah. That's, I was holding that one off on purpose because we were supposed to talk about that one. Yeah. So Tim asked us specifically for our thoughts on these. And so, again, guys, if you if you want our thoughts specifically on stuff, let us know. Um, yeah, we're happy to give it. Is it the Ask God series? I, I just It's uh, Questions Christians Ask or something like questions that. Questions Christians yeah. Ask series. Yep, i got it pulled up again here now. And it's by the Bud, the, the Bud Cook? The Bud Cook Company. The, the Good oh, Book Company. The Good Book Company. And actually, the two books that Tim said he enjoyed are the two we read. I was planning on picking up like several of them because they're really short reads. Like I read Did the Devil Make Me Do It in about an hour. Yeah, they're and short. They're, they're simple. So, yeah, they're not, they're not very long reads. But... Then found out they were six bucks a pop on Kindle, and I would gotten used to like the dollar a pop on Kindle books. Definitely worth a pickup, though. Like the way this guy handled handled the doctrine or the the theology of Satan was just fantastic. Like I, I've I've not seen it that well balanced very often, and so he he was very intentional about yes, Satan's a real dude, and he's really out there, and the Bible definitely says he's prowling about like a lion. No, he's not the reason you have a toothache right now. And he <laughs> yeah. does not have the authority and the power that a lot of people ascribe to him. He's been crushed. And so he's in he's in his death throes. And I think one of the actually the better examples I've heard heard of it, which I think would sum up kind of what this guy said in this book, was the difference between like D Day and V Day. And so at D Day, the war was basically won. It was decided there. The the death blow was struck. But it wasn't until V-Day that it was officially over. Yeah. And so we're kind of living in that in-between period where there's still a war going on, but we won. And they really don't have, Satan really does not have the, the authority and the power to be, that people often give him, I guess. Is, yeah. Is yeah, that's a good way to saying. put it. That's good. So, so yeah, that was fantastic. Uh, what did you think of Is God Anti-Gay? Yeah, so I read Is God Anti-Gay a long time ago. Um and I, I skimmed through it this week. I, I was pretty busy reading some other stuff for school and things, so I didn't get around to reading the whole thing. But it's good. Uh, it's it's a very good summary. Sam Albury writes uh, very. Uh, he's engaging. He's easy to read. And and again, it's very simple, and, and you can get through it quickly. Uh, but he has a lot of good stuff to say, and really addresses the way that the culture um, handles it, and it specifically looks at um, church culture. And he talks about how to approach uh, other Christians with it. And, and at one point he even brings up, I think, uh, something along the lines of, is this something that as Christians we can just agree to disagree on? And really hits on why that's not really an approach we can take with something like homosexuality. Um, and and there's, it's, it's got lots of scripture throughout it. Throughout it. It's a very practical read. Uh, highly recommend it. I, I've heard of you know this whole series... I've heard of a few of them. I haven't read a bunch of them, but I, I know they're supposed to be very good books. Um, it made me. It makes me think of the Crucial Question series that R.C. Sproul puts out as well. Those are another set of really small books that kind of address different questions, and so I, I would highly recommend those books as well. Um, yeah, but I would say from from the standpoint I've had of these, I would say I recommend them. Obviously, again, yeah. take that with a grain of salt because I haven't read all of them, yeah. and I'm I'm very cautious to recommend a book I haven't read yet. Just because, even knowing the author, you never know what they're going to say. Yeah, definitely. But, but I would say they're definitely worth taking a look at. And again, with everything 
read it with the sermon. But the two, two that we read were very yeah, good. Very good. And I really appreciate them. I also really appreciate it. At least I don't know. I can't speak to is God anti-gay, but it sounds like it from the way you said. Like, did the devil make me do it? It was so, so easy to read without losing richness. Like he just wrote in a way that you could probably give it to somebody who'd never even thought about this before or someone who's a new yeah. Christian yeah. and it would be very easy for them to understand and very, a uh, very easy read. So definitely I, I really, I, I appreciated that about it too. Yeah. So the, Tim, we like the books. Yep. Good recommendation. Um, the last thing we want to talk about too, and we will, we'll go through this quickly, but as, as people who read, and as, as Christians, we should be reading Scripture as well as other things. You know, we talked about Sola Scripture, and we talked about the the benefit and importance of reading other stuff as well, the confessions and the creeds and the church fathers, and um, down to stuff today. Re- reading is a way that we can learn a lot of good information. Um, don't ever neglect reading fictional stuff, too. Like, fiction... Or even just even nonfiction that's not Christian, with you know, when you look at things like biographies or books on history, there's benefit to reading those things. They're good. They're worth reading. Um, but take the time to read fiction books because it's it's entertaining. It's thought provoking. Um, it's not. It's just it's not worth only reading theological books or... I mean, unless you just don't enjoy fiction books, then you don't have to read them. You don't but, have to read them, but I, I, if if you are a reader... If you enjoy them, yeah. read them. Yeah, take the time so. to read them. And, uh, and again, within within the context of, like, you know, probably don't be reading books that are very explicit in things and oh, stuff sure. like that. Still be obviously. discerning. <laughs> like, but, like with any media you intake, be discerning. Yeah. Um, but, like, I, I recommend the Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis is great, and it's allegorical. It gets very theological as well. Um, it's it's fascinating to read those books. And, and John Parker, if you go to that Facebook post, John gives a pretty good explanation of um, why he likes those books so much, and so highly recommend that. Um, Lord of the Rings is phenomenal. There's there's a book series I read growing up, and it's, it's an easy read. I think there's ten of them, but they're called... Ramona Quimby. No, I don't even know what that is, actually. Is it Ramona Quimby or Ramona Jones? How do you not know what that is? Uh, dude, I don't... Anyway, go ahead. Junie B. Sorry. Jones, is that what you're talking about? Junie B. Jones, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> I'm smart. No, these were... Uh, so it's a book series called Pendragon, and it's it's not about King Arthur. Um, but oh, Pendragon. Those are... They're uh, they're all right books. I, lo- I love them. They're, it's a fantasy book series where um, there's there's basically ten different worlds. It's just worlds. discount Lord of the Rings. It's really not though. It's not even. In- no, it's not. It's it's actually pretty good. The movie does not do the books justice. By the way, is there a pen- there's not a Pendragon movie? Yeah, there is. You're lying. I'm pretty sure there is. Let me check. But I'm pretty sure there was, and it was a huge disappointment. We're not talking about King Arthur, right? No. Okay. the The books I highly recommend. Um, they're they're very interesting and easy to read. Um, they're thicker books. But you get through them pretty quickly. So if if you ever find those or want to read something that's um, interesting, if you like fantasy and sci-fi type stuff, it's definitely a good good route to go. Wait a minute! I just realized I'm an idiot. You just realized I mean, that? Hey, I know we should have done that for a while. I was thinking Aragon. Oh, you're thinking Aragon? Yeah, the that's Aragon movie was was off. horrible. Those books are good. Um, they're pretty good, yeah. They're they're more in the vein of. Um, there is a Pendragon movie, though. Did you know that? 
Uh, it's that. That's a King Arthur movie. Yeah, the. the, the I'll be nice. Go ahead. I have no clue what you're talking about. I was just gonna give my thoughts on the movie and decided not to because they were very great people who put it on. So. Gotcha. Um, it's just definitely a very budget film. <laughs> gotcha. Um, no, so that book series is good. Uh, I can't. DJ McHale, I think, is the name of the author. Don't quote me on that. You can look it up. But um, they were good. Bob, Bobby Pendragon is the name of the the main character. So, um, what about you? What kind of fiction recommendations do you have? So, uh, <laughs> way too many. Um, the Baronfell Prophecies by Wayne Thomas Batson are fantastic. They're they're definitely probably more of a young adult fiction. I find that's more what I enjoy, maybe just because when I read fiction, I want an easy read. But but they're they're really good. So they're set in in a, kind of this world with like a dual universe, almost. And it's, it's just a cool book, and the way it plays between the two worlds and kind of the agents working between two worlds and stuff is really cool. It, he wrote another trilogy I really like, the Dorothin trilogy, but I feel like he stepped up his writing a lot once he got to the Baronfell Prophecies. And so, and if I'm remembering right, there's four books in that series, but the fourth one you can only get off Amazon because their publisher dropped them. So you know that that that's <laughs> that's a good plug for the book. But yeah, good enough. But no, to get I dropped really, by a publisher. I really appreciated them. And then there's uh, the Inkart Inkart trilogy. I really enjoyed reading. Uh, we mentioned Aragon already. I enjoyed that as far as fiction goes. Sherlock Holmes has to be my favorite Sherlock fictional Holmes is stories. Fun to read. It's good like stuff. just Arthur Conan Doyle in general. Anything Doyle writes is really good to read. Yeah. And so, you got those. You got Chronicles of Narnia is good. We didn't Chronicles of Narnia. I look forward to being able to read Chronicles of Narnia and The Hobbit to my kids. I'm super yeah, excited same. to be able to do that. Same. One last one I'll throw in. And this is this is one of my all time favorite fiction books. Is Darth Maul Shadowhunter by Michael Reeves. And it just it makes Darth Maul out to be really awesome. Nice, yeah. There's some which I, I mean I don't know if that's a good thing because he's a Sith, but you know, it's a cool yeah. book. There's there's some really good Star Wars books. Um, it also does a really good setup for like Episode One and some stuff yeah. that happened there. I've actually so. I recently reread 1984, which I've read a few times. That one's 1984 is an interesting book from a fictional Ooh, classics. There's so many good classics too. There is. Like Tale I mean, of Two Cities is fantastic. Oh, see, I, I can't stand Charles Dickens. I don't care. See, I don't like for most most of Dickens stuff, but I love Tale of Two Cities. I didn't like that one. I thought either. that was good. I also, I mean, I like Macbeth and Romeo and Juliet. And I like Macbeth. Stuff okay. like that too. Um, so. Romeo and Juliet's funny. I hate when people see it as this great love story because it's not. It's, it's super sarcastic and hilarious. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like, uh, I have one at the top of my head, but I forgot. Oh, the Odyssey. The Odyssey's really oh, good. Oh, man. Dude, thank you for me. The Iliad and the Odyssey. Actually, I prefer the Iliad to the Odyssey. Iliad's good, too. I prefer the Odyssey, but but they're both very good. There's yeah, fi- are... Fiction is a vast array of stuff to read, and there's a lot of good stuff out there. So There are. So there's some of our recommendations for you guys. Yeah. So if you want to you read them, you should read them. <laughs> oh, this is great. I'm going to throw this out here. So we're sitting... That Jake I'm, just started playing yeah, Dishonored? Yeah, I'm sitting here at my computer. Yep. We're recording, and I got Steam pulled up because my, when my computer's Same. on, Steam is on. 
and I just see a pop up from my brother that he started playing, playing Dishonored. Dishonored. And I saw it too. I was getting ready to say something. Oh That's my awesome. goodness! So we, Jake's playing Dishonored, and then we had this week the the response to us talking about Dishonored was hilarious. Logan Sharp almost bought Dishonored Two and Death of the Outsider because of our podcast. Nate McKeever said he's wanting to to get back into Dishonored again, and uh, I think it was uh, Mr. White Chocolate McDougal himself who actually picked, went it, and up. picked it up. Yeah. So yeah. that that was hilarious. All the posts we had coming into Facebook about. Because of our discussion so, on Dishonored, people getting it. The takeaway from this is, if you get the urge, buy it. With Dishonored, specifically. Yeah, yeah. do it. It's good. Good do stuff. <laughs> yep. All right, well, that's what we got for today. Yeah, so, thanks for listening. Give us a uh, like us on, or f- join our Facebook group, uh, Error 204 Podcast. There, there's a link on SoundCloud. I don't know if it's linked on iTunes or Google Play or any other podcast catcher. Um there is not. But I know I know sites. that uh, it's on SoundCloud, or you can just get on Facebook and search Error204Podcast. You'll find us. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at Error204Podcast. and uh, Shoot us an email at Error204Podcast at gmail.com. Yep. We'd love to hear from you guys. We really appreciate the feedback you've been given. Really appreciate you listening. Hope you'll stick around for a while, and hope we'll be around for a while. So. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Don't forget the contest. We will catch you next week. Bye. Bye.